Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. He's not a static, passive God. If you've got a relationship with Him, it's always dynamic and always moving. So He is moving you somewhere. The question is not if, but rather where. Where is He moving you to? If we've got to be honest with one another, this is not an easy question to answer. What does it look like when He's leading me? How do I know that it's God leading me into the spatial, that it's his voice through the Holy Spirit that is talking to me? Is it just maybe my own heart, my desires? Is it maybe my fears that is talking to me right now? Maybe it's just people or situations, and it's not really God moving me. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, oh, God's opened a door, I'm going to wait for God to open a door for me, and then I'm going to go through that? There's a lot of Christian jargon out there that we use, but if you stop to think about it, it's almost difficult to understand what does it really mean. How do I know that it's God opening doors? I don't know if you guys know this, but part of the puzzling fact of this is the Christian industry. Do you know that in the U.S., the Christian goods industry is a billion-dollar industry where they print T-shirts and make CDs and coffee mugs with the words on Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. Maybe Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we hear these messages both from the industry, from the people around us. And it's difficult to ask ourselves, is this really God or is it outside voices that I'm listening to that's leading me this morning? And even in today's passage we see that it's not always as clear, cut, and dry to recognize not only am I receiving a word from God, a prophetic word or or prompting of the Holy Spirit, or is it simply someone's interpretation thereof? And that's why this morning's passage is brilliant. Because we actually see conflicting reports from what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so that's why the the title of this morning's sermon is either led or misled by the Spirit. And which one is it this morning for you? Are you being led by the Spirit or does it feel like we are being misled by the Holy Spirit? Brilliant one for this morning. We're not going to get to everything, but uh, let's get to the most. So a little bit of a context where we are right now in the book of Acts. Uh, The book of Acts is the follow-on of the gospel according to Luke, where we see the message of Jesus. Jesus was, came to earth. He was delivered over to men. He was crucified. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected, and he has risen and rise on high and is with God right now. In Acts 1, we see the empowering of the apostles and the disciples through the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples to be witnesses for Jesus, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so from there, the explosion after Pentecost, we see this actually happening. We see the church of God 
God grow. And it's been growing ever since. Then we saw different ministries happening. We see that the leaders in Jerusalem, specifically Peter and John, they were reaching out to the Jewish non-believers at that stage, trying to convince them Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. Later on, we saw this zealous Pharisee named Saul or Paul that he came to faith, and now that he was commissioned with spreading this faith to the Gentile, the non-Jewish world, and that he had tremendous success in doing that, and people were receiving this gospel of Jesus with open arms, and it was spreading mightily. But everywhere where Paul went, we saw that there was resistance, both from Gentiles and from Jews. And in spite of that resistance, the gospel was still growing, or the church was still growing, and the message was still spreading. Paul went on a first missionary journey, and then on a second missionary journey. Where we are right now in the book of Acts is on Paul's final missionary journey, his third missionary journey. He's just finished his track through Asia and Asia Minor, visiting all the different churches that he's planted in the past, strengthening the disciples, urging them to hold on to the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a lot of those cities, he even sent letters to the other cities to encourage them as well. And those letters are forming our New Testament, like uh, Ephesians and Corinthians and Galatians. Many of those letters were written during this time and will be written in the final chapters in the book of Acts. At this stage, we see, or where we ended off last time in Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit very clearly indicated to Paul that you need to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, you will, and you can expect imprisonment and persecution. And so Paul, after he received this word, he was still in Ephesus at the time. He called all the Ephesian elders together and gave him this last sermon. And then he told them in Acts 20, verses 22 to 24, Paul says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained or controlled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So as Paul said this to the Ephesian elders, the guys cried together and they were greatly saddened because Paul said, you won't see my face again. I probably won't survive this trip to Jerusalem. And so he gave them this final instruction to hold on to the gospel. And that's where we almost come to today's text. This is the final chapter in Paul's life and in his journey as we see. And it will play out over the next coming chapters in the book of Acts. So by all accounts, it seems like at this stage that Paul is directed not just by his own thinking, but clearly by the Holy Spirit that he is to go to Jerusalem, but that at Jerusalem he will suffer for the gospel. However, just because he will suffer for the gospel doesn't mean that he shouldn't go or that he should try and avoid this because it seems like at this stage where we are in the story that this is what the Holy Spirit intends for him. And then it brings us to today's text. So from Paul's vantage point and ours so far, as Luke is writing the book, 
the message, albeit a little bit sad that Paul is going to suffer and be imprisoned at Jerusalem, that seems clear at this stage, what he should do. Today, it will seem less clear. So let's jump into today's story. We see that Paul and his companions, including Luke, the author, at this stage, they're still in Asia Minor, and now they're traveling all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, it's not like today where you can get a one-way flight and simply get on in Ephesus and fly quickly back to Jerusalem. It's quite a trick. Um, when they're on land, it's mostly by foot, so they've got to go from city to city. And once they reach the ocean or the sea, they've got to set sail. And depending on the seasons or on the winds, it's going to take them to certain ports. And if it gets to a season like winter where there's an unfavorable wind, they probably have to stay there the whole winter. And so this takes almost a couple of years for Paul to go from the city of Ephesus to travel back to Jerusalem. And you can imagine a lot happens in that time. As the ship sets sail and they've got to go from one city to the next, the ship needs to dock. They need to take on resupply. They need to offload some goods. They need to make money in the meantime. And so a lot of things are happening. And as they're going back, Paul and his, all of his companions, they're on the way back to Jerusalem. One of the stops was at the port in Tyre. And so when the ship had to unload its cargo, we read the following in verse 4. When they disembarked from the ship, we see, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, probably because the ship was unloading and loading new supplies. And through the Spirit, those disciples that they found in the city of Tyre were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, we can gloss over this pretty quickly, but um, notice that it was through the Spirit that they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, what's going on here? It, it seemed like it was pretty clear what the message was from Paul to the Ephesian elders. And now he gets to the city of Tyre, and the disciples there through the Spirit tells Paul, you shouldn't go. This isn't what you should be doing. And yet, we see that the story continues. And we get to the crux of the story as they keep on traveling down towards Jerusalem at verse 8. Read with me if it's on the screen or if you have your Bibles with me. It says that on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, this is Luke, the disciples, the companions of Paul, and the other disciples, we urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. 
And so we've got this interesting passage today where it seems like there's conflicting reports of what the Holy Spirit is doing and how the Holy Spirit is leading certain people. So there's a couple of things that we need to say from the outset and that Luke, the author, knows and understands how the Holy Spirit operates. The first thing is that we know that the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. Luke makes it clear that Paul is not only convinced of what the Spirit has revealed, but that this is indeed the right interpretation. That's why the disciples came to themselves the resolution and saying, let the will of the Lord be done. So what's happening here? We've got these three different encounters, Paul's interpretation of the Spirit, the disciples at Tyre, and then also now the prophecy or the prophet from Agabus that said that if Paul were to go to Jerusalem, he would be in chains. And on the back of that, they asked Paul not to go. And so here's where the misunderstanding comes in. Paul knew what his lot was. He was also aware of how the Holy Spirit would use this for him being imprisoned and chained. As people were led by the Spirit... They correctly received the word from the Holy Spirit of what Paul, what would happen to Paul if he were to go to Jerusalem. The misleading came, part came in, or the misunderstanding came in, how they interpreted the message of the Holy Spirit. You see, as people were led by the Spirit, they assumed that because the Spirit told them that Paul was going to be imprisoned, that that's the situation that Paul had to avoid. So two things. Two things that I want us to learn from today's passage and that we need to lean in closer with today's passage is one, where God will lead us. All of us. What is God's will? Where will he lead us? And the second is, how do we engage with prophecies or prompts of the Holy Spirit or a word of God. So let's jump in. Number one, where does God lead us? So the folly of the rest of the disciples or the mistake that the rest of the disciples were making was the thought that God was leading Paul away from danger. They had it in their, eye, their heads or their minds or ideas that if God is leading you, the only place possible for God to be leading you is to a place of prosperity and comfort. They probably also had the gift shop on the corner, Kum Bookstore, that also sold the coffee mugs, the plans that I have for you to give you hope in a future, plans to prosper you. And as they were drinking out of their coffee mugs and they received the word of the Spirit that, Paul, you're going to be persecuted in Jerusalem, surely then this is not the will of God, Paul. Surely then you need to avoid this. So the word they received was right and not contradictory to the message of the Spirit, but the way that they reacted or interpreted the word of the Spirit was contradictory because it did not sit well with their theology or their picture of what God was doing. They had a very clear idea of how God was to direct their kingdoms, but they struggled to see how this was fitting into God's kingdom. They could not think that the Holy Spirit was willingly leading Paul to go to Jerusalem, to go into prison. However, if we see these two interpretations, we later on will indeed see that this was the right interpretation, the one that Paul had. Later in the chapter, 
we see that this actually happens as Paul goes to Jerusalem. And again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this now. This is what we're going to be spending time on for the next couple of weeks. But spoiler alert, Paul does get captured. He does get imprisoned. He is suffering persecution, and it's going terrible at that stage. In every instance, however, the one thing that becomes clear in the following chapters, as Paul moves from court to court, from city to city, he's being transferred from one prison to another, from one hearing to another, and in every instance, the one single thread becomes clear. Everywhere Paul goes, he has an opportunity to testify why he is imprisoned. And in his testimony, we will see time and time again, Paul share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we start to plot Paul's last couple of years of his life, we realize that the plan of the Lord was all along to give Paul a platform of where he can share the message of Jesus Christ. And we see this as well in Acts 23, 11. There's one stage where there was a attempt made in Paul's life and he's moved, being moved to a different prison. And it seems like Paul is discouraged. Acts 23, 11 says, The following night the Lord stood by Paul. Jesus appeared to Paul and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It has been God that's been leading Paul all this time. God has been in control this whole time. God has been orchestrating this so that Paul can share the gospel, to be a powerful voice for him in different places. And the only way that Paul would have been able to get to these different places and to these high officials and to have this platform to share this gospel is through his imprisonment. And what we aren't shown later in the book of Acts is how this actually impacts the future of Rome and the rest of Christianity. But it might be that God was using Paul to already lay the foundations for later Caesar Augustus to maybe come to Christ. Maybe Constantine come to Christ. Rome finally becoming a Christianized society where there's freedom of religion where Christianity could grow, where the church could become established. We don't know how God is using us, but it's very clear that from the get-go, the Spirit was leading Paul to a place, albeit uncomfortable, where he could share the message of God. Now, one thing to say is that we're not Paul here today. And so Paul had a unique calling and a unique authority. And so this might not necessarily be true of you and myself, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Um, Paul wasn't masochistic either. He didn't seek out um, persecution. Paul wasn't seeking to be captured. You'll see in the next couple of weeks, Paul was actually really strategic and trying to evade capture. And even when he was captured, Paul was actually trying to pull every string and every uh, um, attorney's uh, argument to get himself released. So it's not that Paul was actually engaging or wanting to be persecuted, that he was seeking it out. Rather, he was trying to get away from that. But in spite of that, God just ordained it in a specific way that that was the platform that Paul was going to share. And so the point isn't for us as well to seek out persecution or to seek out hard circumstances. Rather, 
The point being made here this morning is that as God is leading us, as God is leading us through the Holy Spirit, He will always be leading us to a place where we have space and opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what is the primary place and the primary purpose of the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning, here it is. The primary purpose of the leading of the Holy Spirit is to give us a space and a people and an opportunity where we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the spaces where we share this is not necessarily the most comfortable spaces. I have to admit, family, that somehow we've bought into the idea, myself included, maybe because of the Christian goods industry, maybe because of the songs being sung, maybe because of the comfortable nature that we're living in, that we've led to believe that the leading of the Spirit means that we have this divine voice that will speak into your life so that you can have your best life now. And so when we think about the leading of the Spirit, the only time that we ask for the Spirit's guidance and leading is when we make a difficult decision. Lord, should I take this job or not? Um, Lord, should this relationship, is it good or not? And all of those are actually intended so that I can be in the best possible position for myself. And so even as I'm praying to God for guidance, I've got to admit that I don't have his kingdom agenda at mind, but rather my own kingdom. How is the decision that I'm making now going to benefit me and my family? going to be the best for me right now. Holy Spirit, lead me. You've got the inside track, Holy Spirit. You're divine. We've got an inside edge. Lotto numbers, those, I don't know. How can you help me for me? And family, not that God doesn't lead us in that way. Hear me out. God, like a good dad, wants us to come to him with these decisions. He wants us to pray about our vocations. He wants us to pray about our money. He wants us to pray about our relationships. He wants us to pray about which school we should go to, which school we should send our kids to, where, what neighborhood we should live in. These are the things that we should come to God with and pray to and make our desires known to him. Sure. But all of these things play secondary to the primary role of the Holy Spirit. And the only thing that I'm saying this morning, as I've discovered it in my own heart, what we've done is just flip the two. We've made the secondary and tertiary, we've made primary. The primary role of the Holy Spirit, again, is Acts 1 verse 8. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be witnesses for God and to disciple people. That is the primary role of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit to help us get to a place to be disciple makers of God. And often what that means, it's actually not going the comfortable route. It moves us into uncomfortable spaces and in uncomfortable conversations. It is actually not the natural flow of the river. It's actually the things that I wouldn't choose for myself. It's exactly there where God, most of the time, is leading us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian during the Second World War, imprisoned, persecuted. He's a German standing up against the Germans. He says that as 
Christ calls a man, he bids a man to come and die. To come and die to our own desires and our own kingdom and live for God. And it might even sound somber this morning. It, it almost sounds like choosing this Christian life is just moving away from everything that is fun and comfortable and going to, into the doldrums and of persecution and imprisonment. And in a sense, that's true. I'm not going to lie. However, dying to Christ and dying to your own or dying to your own desires also means being made alive with Christ. You see, in baptism, we've got the dual meaning. As you go under the water, it means, hey, I'm dying to my old life where I'm trying to make it. And as you come up the water, it also symbolizes being resurrected with Christ. And so what that means now is that we have the power of the resurrected Christ now working in me that also will mold me, that will shape me, that will help me and give me the ability to live more like Christ. And actually dying to my own desires and living for Christ and living for His agenda, although it might not seem like it from face value, is so much more fulfilling, so much more actualizing than if I try to live for myself and my own kingdom. Nothing satisfies on earth except being filled with the purpose of God. And so even in Christians, I think we have the sense of unfulfillment exactly because we miss the primary role and the primary reason why we are called to be filled and guided and led by the Spirit. We do not feel led, and we don't know where God is leading because we're looking in the wrong places. The good news is that God finds us there where we are, even when we were not listening to the Holy Spirit, when we were following, like some of these disciples, wrongly interpreting, surely that can't be the will of God. God's will is only to give me a comfortable life. God even finds us in those spaces. I think, have you prayed it just so well? When we pray and we come to God, I've messed up. I didn't do this again. I didn't come to you. I didn't speak with you. God is ready to once again welcome us and commission us to live and work for him. And so what we need is to lean into this message, to develop a sensitivity for the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we can react and listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to recognize how and when he is speaking to us. And one of the ways, one of the simplest ways, it's almost like learning a new language. The, one of the simplest ways to start learning to listen to the Holy Spirit is through prayer. And not just us praying, but having those moments of silence where you quiet your mind and you try to quiet your heart. Have you guys ever tried this? You know how difficult this is. Just try not to have a thought about yourself for 30 seconds. It's almost impossible. And then the to-do list comes in and what you want to pray for and ask God for and thank God for. Rather than spending time focusing on who he is and what he wants to guide you in. That's a skill, a lost art that I think we need to regain and relearn. It's in those quiet moments of prayer where we wait on the Lord. Secondly, as we do receive promptings of the Holy Spirit, we need to learn to actively and more quicker respond to that, especially if it makes you feel uncomfortable. And you might think to yourself that you've never heard this, you've never felt this, but I'm pretty sure you have. When you're in a weird space and there's a random person and you feel the urge, I need to go talk with that person. But it's uncomfortable. You don't know that guy or girl. 
That's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Or, hey, I need to call this person. And you think, okay, I'll do it, and you go through, and you just forget it. Or, I need to pray for this person. Or, I've actually told someone that I would pray for them. Are you praying for them? Are you responding to the prompts of the Holy Spirit? Constantly, the Holy Spirit is actually leading us to circumstances where we can either receive a word from Him or actually give a word to someone else. Which leads us to our second point. We do receive promptings from the Holy Spirit. We even hear it from other people. But how do we sift through all the other voices in our head? How, do, how should we engage the promptings of the Holy Spirit? How should we engage prophecies or word of God? I can't go into everything right now. The word prophecy simply means to have a word from God. And this is what happens as the Holy Spirit guides us. We receive God's word. We see that prophecies in the Old Testament differ vastly from the way that prophecies happen in the New Testament. And we'll have a Maybe we can have a sermon specifically dedicated to that. In the Old Testament, it was more related towards the covenant of Israel and the law and how people should return to the law. New Testament, it is more guidance of the Spirit of how we can have a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's less fortune-telling and more how we can love God more. But we'll have a separate sermon maybe dedicated for this. However, maybe one thing to mention is that God still uses prophecies. I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable. God still uses his Holy Spirit to speak to people and to help other people speak to you. To guide his people. But as we saw in today's text, this isn't always clear, cut, and drive. People might receive a word from God, but they might twist it because of their own understanding of God. Meaning as we hear someone else or even our own heart feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, especially with big decisions, we can't just take everything at face value. We need to investigate when we receive promptings or word from God. Paul says the following in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 22. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish the Spirit. Pour water into the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but taste everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And so three things, three takeaways I want us to go from this. One, we see that the primary way that God will be speaking us, leading us to, through the Holy Spirit is actually to go and share his gospel. That's the primary one. Everything else will be secondary to this. But three things I think we need to learn and take away from this, how Paul says that we should engage prophecies and that we saw in today's passage. The one is that we need to take them seriously. We, what we simply can't do is ignore the promptings of God. Yes, God speaks to us through his word. That stays the primary mode of how God is speaking to us today, but that's not the only way that God is speaking to us. And so if we almost close off our ears, if we're not open for the leading of the Holy Spirit, what would happen is we just miss out. It's not that God can't use us anymore. We're just missing out. We're missing out in a dynamic form of the relationship that we can enjoy with God. And so what we should do, rather than because there's some weird and skeptical things out there, 
you know, sometimes we just want to disregard everything, but then we're missing out of the gift that God wants to give us as his church. And so we need to take this seriously. But the second equally important one, because we said that we can't take everything at face value, as you receive a word from God, maybe in your own heart, maybe someone phoned you and said they've got a word, we can't take it at face value. Paul says, test everything. That verse has been taken out of context with test everything. <laughs> specifically referring to prophecies. Now, I'm not a scientist. Jabalile should actually explain this. How do you test something? You test something meaning that you already have something that establishes the baseline truth. So you need a baseline. And then everything else, you test whether it measures up to that baseline truth. And so what Paul says is, what is our baseline truth? Well, firstly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel is expanded in the word of God. And so the word of God is our baseline truth, meaning that whatever other word you ever receive or hear from anyone else, it can never contradict what is in the word of God. It can only be affirmed. So if someone comes and tells you something weird and wacky that is not in line with the truth of Scripture, you test it against it, it doesn't measure up, you can, dis you can just disregard it. That's why the Word is so important for us and to know and understand and have high value of God's Word. That's the first place where we measure. That's the first place where we test. However, that's not the only place where we test. We see, even in this passage today, Paul is an apostle. You would think that he didn't need any confirmation or affirmation from the people around him, but we see that's not how God works. God created us for community. So where's the next space where we test any prophecy? It's in community. It's with the people around us. When <laughs> I'm very worried when this happens to me. When someone simply comes and tells me a matter of fact that God has told them this and that, I'm very skeptical. Because ultimately what they're saying is you're not allowed to question them because then you're questioning God. God has said. As though they are the Pope or the mouthpiece of God. So there's no room for accountability if we approach one another in that way. Rather, the way that we want to share with one another, if we think we receive someone a word from God, or if we think we have a word for someone else, the words that we use is, I think, I believe, it seems like the Holy Spirit is prompting or leading me in this direction. What do you think? What does that do? It recognizes that my own heart is sinful. I don't receive the ultimate truth of God. It creates a humility that I can invite other people into this conversation it's because I actually want accountability. And it creates safety because we recognize that we need help. We're not the sole mouthpiece of God. And so family engage with the Spirit of God, but test the prophecies and engage with the people around you, especially with more mature Christians. Your D group leader, your DNA group, your mission or community, with me, with other leaders in the church. Engage with us so that we can pray together. And this is the great thing about God. God does not contradict himself. And so if God revealed it to you, <laughs> surely he will reveal it to someone else. And that's often why we don't want other input. Because if it is something that only comes from my own desires, I don't want someone else telling me no. And so we just play the God card so you can't say anything against it. 
But if we truly want to be in the will of God, we want to invite other people into that vulnerable space. The third thing about prophecies and leading of the Spirit is that it will never lead us to sin. The last thing we see is that many, many times before, people have used God or even the guidance of God to justify their own sin. God has told me or has led me or have received the word that I should leave my wife. Uh, God has told me that, you know, we're not married yet, but this relationship is sanctified and, and we've made him the God of our relationship. That's why we can live together. God has directed me that I believe the government is using this money for sinful things so I won't pay tax. The leading of the Holy Spirit will never lead us to sin only to spaces where we can glorify God and use it as a platform to spread the message of the gospel. Proverbs tells us, tell the truth even when it's at your own expense. The uncomfortable truth maybe is that God is first and foremost not about your comfort, but about his glory. Leading and being led by the Spirit will ultimately bring glory to His name, but it would also be the best thing for us possible. As we do this, we will live more in step with the Spirit. We will be more effective for the Father, and we will bring glory to His name. And so, family, in closing, we don't know what the future is leading us. I don't know individually. This would be maybe a good prayer for yourself, where God is maybe specifically leading you to right now. How is he leading you? How is he guiding you? I would actually put the challenge out there. Spend some time in prayer and ask this question to God. I dare you to do it. God isn't scared of your prayer. But no matter the answer of this, we can be sure. Collectively, we can be sure of this. Where is God leading us? to share the gospel. The only secondary questions that we ask is where and how and with whom. And he's faithful. He won't leave us alone, but he'll empower us in the process for his glory. Amen. Father God, we, we thank you that even as Abby prayed that things look so uncertain as we look at the future. Um, and it is, economically, politically, socially. It feels like globally there's so much uncertainty. uncertainty. Personally, there's so much uncertainty. In terms of South Africa and politics and going forward, there's so much uncertainty. And we've got so many questions of where we should do and what we should be busy with. And these are good questions, Father. And we actually want to bring our anxieties to you because you care for us. You want to give us peace. You do want to lead us in the small and big decisions of our lives. But Father, we pray this morning that you would help us lay down our lives before you in service of you. This we do confess, Lord, that we struggle to live for your kingdom. And, and our kingdom takes primary focus. And what we need this morning, Holy Spirit, is that you would lead us to recognize that you have this burning desire, this burning love to see more people come to know you and know the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that we would lean into this, and I pray that we would be more controlled by the Holy Spirit, that we would be more filled by the Holy Spirit to be, in fact, messengers 
disciple makers of the best news that there is. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, but he was also resurrected. And that power is now at work in us to bring life to our mortal bodies. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Family, let's stand and sing together.